In Mark 6, 30 through 52, God speaks to us in his word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Katie. All right, good morning. Hey, I haven't met you yet. Um, my name is Ben. I am one of the pastors here, and um, man, really good to be with you guys. Maybe you're, you're new to the church. Um, if you have any questions about Frontline, man, we would love to talk with you guys. If you have questions about Jesus, um, we'd really love to talk with you. It is not lost on me that if you're not used to church or if you're not maybe a Christian or you're not walking with the Lord, it's not lost on me like how probably hard it was for you to, to get up and come to church today. And it's not lost on me how um, weird all of this seems probably to you. And I just want you to know that even though I don't know you, I'm actually proud of you. Um, proud of you for just coming. Proud of you for just being here. And proud of you for just saying, you know what? My, whatever's happening in my life ain't working. I need something different, and um, I just, you're at the right, you're at the right place. I mean, this is a safe place. This is a place for you to bring any doubts you have. This is a place, place for you to bring any and all, um, any and all bad decisions. You can bring all of your bad decisions. You can bring all of your 
habits, your bad habits, you can bring all of your addictions. You can bring any and all of that. You might think that you're the worst person in the whole world, or you're the worst person in this room, which you're not. But all of that stuff, this is a safe place for you to bring it. And I I just want you to know that. I mean, we are together walking towards Jesus. We are together following him. And none of us are really that good at it. And so you're in a safe place, man. I don't have anything to give you. I don't have any real wise words. Um, I don't have any kind of like cultural hot takes. You're not going to be impressed or amazed at like my (laughs) one-liners. But what I have to give you is the thing that I've discovered for myself. Um, There is a God. His name is Jesus. He's actually really loving. And he also has authority over everything. So that's really good news. I'm glad he's loving. I'm glad he's not angry. I'm glad he's not just like sitting distant somewhere. And he has more grace than anybody who's ever lived. Nobody's more gracious than Jesus. So I'm sad to say you're in a good place today. Thank you for being here. We are reading about Jesus right now in this book called Mark. Mark is one of four Gospels. And the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The reason they're called Gospels is because they tell the story of that word Gospel means good news. It also means truth, but it's like basically says the truth is good news. That's the Gospel. That's what Gospel means. And the reason they're called Gospels is because everything I just told you is true about God. He's not distant. He's not angry. He's not like frustrated that you hadn't figured out how to be perfect. He himself actually knew that we couldn't be perfect, and he himself came for us in Jesus. So Jesus is God, and these Gospels are called good news stories because it's actually really good news that you don't have to be God. You never could. Like 10 minutes of, pick 10 minutes of your life that you were like, man, I did pretty good that one. There was one day three years ago. I'll never forget, I did pretty good that one day three years ago for 10 minutes. I didn't sin much. I didn't have a weird thought. I didn't, I wasn't angry at anybody. I don't know if that's you or not. But maybe that's what you think. Even in that 10 minutes, if that were even true, which it's probably not, um, you still, there's no way you could ever be God. There's no way you could ever be perfect. And God is completely holy in every way. He's so holy, in fact, that Moses, uh, you remember the story of Moses and one of the Old Testament prophets? If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Old Testament is like all these stories about God and prophets. Moses wanted to see God's face, and he said, Moses, you're a prophet. You're like a super holy dude, probably, but you're not even close to being holy enough to even see my face. So he said, don't look on me because you will die. And so God, who is infinitely uh, holy in every way, face that burns brighter than the sun, you can't look on him, he's so holy, he passes by Moses. Moses says, show me your glory. He said, you can't, it'll kill you. So he just has to pass by him. Elijah, uh, there's a story about Elijah who is a prophet 
in the Old Testament, there were all these other like false prophets, and Elijah was the only prophet of God, and these other false prophets like basically wanted to, to get into the ring with, uh, with Elijah, and they said, let's put our God against your God. They had a God named Baal, and Elijah was a prophet of Yahweh, the one true God. And in this standoff, um, Elijah called down fire from heaven, and God consumed up all of this random, stupid stuff that they were doing. Their God didn't show up, and God did. Elijah runs away. He's freaking out a little bit. He's tired. And God says, I will come to you. I will show you, I will show you my glory, but you can't see my face either. And so there, what I'm trying to say is it's like, God is holy beyond holy beyond holy. I mean, the holiness of a thousand burning suns. We cannot even see him. And even on your best day and your best behavior, you can't get to that level of holiness. So what are you going to do with all of that, that non-holiness? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to stand before a holy God with all of that darkness and sin and I'm preaching to myself, man. There's got to be another way. You are, there's no way you can. Think about your life. Just reason with me for a minute. There's no way that you can. You have no hope. There's no hope. The only way, the only way that you could possibly stand before God is that God himself, like, make a way. And the gospel of Mark is the good news of the truth that God did make a way. And we're reading this story about the way. Jesus, God's son, who did everything that we couldn't do, lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He absorbed the wrath of the justice of the holiness of God. And he rose from the dead. And we're hearing his story through Mark. And it's been crazy. It's been crazy. Jesus is alive, and he's healing people, and he, like, raises this little girl from the dead. It's a really sweet moment. This man comes in. He's a temple priest, and he says, God, I need your help. The, the temple priests hated Jesus. And this guy was a high-ranking official in the synagogue, and he says, I need your help. I'm desperate. Jesus follows him. He raises his... He, he says, Talitha Kumi, he, little girl, rise and walk. He raises his little girl from the dead. And then one of my favorite moments in all of the Bible, he raises her from the dead. Her dad's astonished. His disciples are astonished. The little girl has, has now hurt. She's got blood moving through her veins now. Her heart's beating. I mean, her brain's firing. And what Jesus says next is, hey, get the girl something to eat. <laughs> what a compassionate God. That is so tender to me. He's like raised her from the dead. No big deal. Has she had any food? I love that. There's a woman with a blood disorder that touches his garment. She's had a blood disorder forever. She touches his garment just like the crowd's pressing in. She touches his garment. He, feel, he feels her touch her garment. She said, if I could just touch his garment, I'll be healed of this 12-year blood disorder. She's healed instantly. And Jesus, with crowd like pressing in, says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean? There are a thousand people around you, Jesus. We've got a schedule to keep, brother. Compassionate Jesus says, who touched me? 
He takes time with this woman. There's a thousand people that touched him, but he knew that he healed someone. She bows down before him. Just compassionate Jesus. Now our story now is Jesus in front of a crowd. We see his compassion again. He cares that they're hungry. He cares that they're weary. So the first thing I want you to see is quite simply this. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So Jesus has just sent out the apostles to go and pray for the sick and heal them in Jesus' name. And they came back and said all that they had done and taught. They've been out working. And then he said to them, this is what Jesus said to them. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus is compassionate. He sends out the disciples. They go and cast out demons in Jesus' name. They go heal the sick in Jesus' name under his authority. Imagine how much you would freak out if no one in the history of your town, if no one in the history of like your family, if you had never seen any healings or heard of any miracles in your life. And now Jesus, this man, is healing people, and he tells you that you can do the same under his authority. Imagine what you would feel like. The fear and anxiety that you would feel when you went out under his authority, and he said, now you can go and heal people. Like, what? (laughs) What do you mean I can go and heal people? That's like... God only business. And then you go, okay, let's go see if this man's crazy or not. <laughs> Come on to some, somebody that's broken down, sick, dying, whatever. In Jesus' name, get up and walk. And they do. Now imagine the kind of like, just the shot in the arm that that would be like instant spiritual adrenaline. It's like, man, okay, I have the power to heal people now. First superhuman to ever live. Let me go get a cape. I might not ever see y'all again. I'm about to get to work. That's what I would do. And they go and they work and they're exhausted. They come back to Jesus and you're going back and you're telling him like, you ain't going to believe this. I prayed for somebody. They got up. There's this other person over here that had this weird disease, been fighting forever, man, I prayed for them. The molecule, their body like healed itself in Jesus' name. There, other people got saved. There was people influenced and oppressed and possessed by demons. And Jesus, we prayed for them and the demons feared us because of your name. And I would be like, See ya, I'm going to go keep doing that stuff. 
Jesus in his compassion does what we think that he never does. Because see, we think that God is only concerned about the stuff that we do for him. And he's not. That's not his primary concern. The fact is this, Jesus doesn't need you to bring his kingdom on earth. He doesn't need you to do that. He will bring his kingdom on earth with or without you. He wants you to do it, but he doesn't need you. And in his compassion, what he says to them is what a lot of us, a lot of y'all need to hear today. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. Jesus models this for us in his ministry when he leaves crowds, leaves ministry. Jesus, the most compassionate person to have ever lived, left people to go away by himself and rest and pray with the Father. Hey, if you're a ministry, if you're pursuing ministry in this room, which some of you are, there are students in here that go to OBU that think, man, maybe I want to be a youth pastor, maybe I want to be a pastor, maybe I, whatever. I need you to hear me say this, and this is not just for ministry people that want to be vocational. This is for those of you who just like really love Jesus and really want to give him your life, and maybe the way that you do that is be a nurse or, um, or be a lawyer or work at the mill or whatever it is. I mean, man, God bless you, but let me just tell it to you this way. The rest of your life, you will fight the urge to do stuff for Jesus as opposed to be with Jesus. And I just want to invite you into reality today. God does not need you to bring his kingdom on earth. He doesn't need you to do that. He wants you, and he wants you close to him. He wants you close to his heart. He actually just loves who you are. He loves the way that you're made. You know why? He made you. He formed you. He's not shocked by how crazy you feel. He's not shocked by how crazy you act. He wants you. He adores you. He loves your personality. He loves your humor. He he actually likes you. And it's not because of the stuff that you produce for him. I was talking with a friend lately and um, recently, and he was telling me, um, he's one of our elders in, in, in Frontline, um, in one of our other congregations, and he said when he got saved, he kept thinking like, man, God really did a good thing when he saved me. <laughs> if this was PE class and God was picking teams, Guaranteed I'd be the first one, because I am super gifted, super talented. I'm going to do a lot of good stuff for God. He's been a pastor for years. Now he knows how dumb that sounds. It sounds dumb, but we think that. What's the primary thing that you hear growing up? What's the primary means of encouragement that you think about yourself or you think about someone else? Or maybe you heard it from a a really well-meaning pastor. It's not a bad thing to say, but it becomes our dominant thing when we think about God. And it's this, man, God's really going to use you. I really want to be used by God. 
I really want to do stuff for God. I want to have an impact. I want, to, I want my life to matter. And it's like, that can twist us up because all of a sudden our identity, our self-worth becomes in what we can do for God. And when you stop meeting the goal, when your idea of who you should be isn't faced with the reality of who you are, and you're not performing for God at a high level, and you can't stop sinning, and you can't stop doing crazy stuff, well, guess what? All of a sudden, the God who you think sole purpose is to get you to do stuff for him is not the God that you want to be with or worship at all. Because you can never meet the standard that you set and that you think that he wants for you. And I'm here today to tell you that God wants just you. Before you do anything for him, he just wants you. And the better question is, not how is God going to use you, but the better question is, how are you going to have communion with God? How much do you love him? How much do you pray with him? How much do you adore him? How much do you look at him and go, wow, he loves me no matter what I do for him. And then by God's grace, he'll lead you and he'll do stuff through you, but it's the goal is communion and rest with him. He gave his disciples rest, and the people in the crowd, he asked them to rest. And in Matthew 11, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are two requirements. You cannot come to Jesus without meeting these two criteria. There's no way. You cannot. You have to have been laboring and you have to be heavy laden. All who labor, all who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's compassionate. He wants you. Second is this. He's not just compassionate, he's also a provider. Disciples look out on the crowd because Jesus had had compassion. Remember, they were trying to run away from the crowd and Jesus had compassion on them. And then the disciples, it's getting late, so apparently Jesus had been teaching like way too long. You know, he planned on a 30-minute sermon. It's like we're going like two, three hours now, Jesus. And they're getting hungry. And the disciples tell Jesus about them getting hungry. And the disciples say, should they go in town and get something to eat? And Jesus says, why don't you give them something to eat? Now remember, he had just given them authority. They had cast out demons, healed the sick, done all kinds of crazy things in his name. They just literally just did that. And here they are going, should we send them to provide for themselves? And Jesus is again teaching them a lesson. He says, why don't you give them something to eat? Why don't you provide? And they said to him, this is so sarcastic, by the way. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now listen, 5,000 men ate that day, which means that there were probably more like 10,000 people 
women and children as well. This is a lot of people to feed. 200 denarii is just a number, a huge number that they throw out to be sarcastic to God because they've already forgotten that he is in fact God and not just a teacher. They've already forgotten that because they continue to forget it. And they can cast out demons. They see him hold a little girl's hand who's dead and he says, Talitha Kumi, little girl, rise and walk. She rises from the dead. <laughs> they watched all this happen. And now it's like they forgot that happened yesterday. And they all of a sudden forgot that he has the power over the wind and the waves. He has power over death and life and blood disorders itself. But how are we going to get this food to these people? Man, that sounds familiar. You know why? You know why the disciples did that? It's because they're limited. It's the same thing with us. It's the same thing with the crowd. The crowd is limited. The people are limited. The disciples are limited. We are limited in our scope and our understanding. You need God to even believe God. You can't even just decide to just like click in and go, I'm going to just believe in God. You, you actually need God to put belief in you to even believe that he actually is God. And what we do in our life, because we're so limited, is we chase our tail. And we freak out and we try to control everything and everybody because we've got an idea of just how our life should go. Or just how we should feel. Or... And in our limitation, it never meets our own standard. I have yet to meet anyone, see an interview, see like a real interview with a whoever. I've yet to talk to anyone who firmly and fully believes that every dream that they've ever had, everything that they've ever wanted, have come true exactly in the time frame, in the way, with all the stuff and all the exact people that they wanted it to. Be honest, search yourself. I mean, with your parents or with whoever or whatever, yourself maybe. Have you ever met anyone that if you were to sit down and go, hey, tell me the 30 or 40 like dreams that you have, how much money you wanted, how many kids, how, what type of spouse, what, you know, what kind of house, at what time, at what moment in your life? Did you hit all of those marks? The answer is 100% of the time, if people are honest, it's no. We are limited. We're limited. The crowd is limited. They chased after healing because why? They can't heal themselves. 10,000 of them. The disciples are limited. They can't provide food for these people. They can't multiply these fishes and loaves. The only person who is not anxious, the only person who is unlimited in this story, and the only person who is unlimited and not anxious in this room today is Jesus. He doesn't run out of resources. He doesn't freak out. He's not worried. He's not anxious. 
In your limitations, you are met with God the provider. Jesus the one who provides. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. You don't have to chase your tail. You can actually lean on him because he knows better than you anyway. He's already done the math. He knows the whole universe revolves around him. Don't trust your money. Don't trust your hard work. Don't trust the American dream, man, for real. I'm not telling you to not trust anybody. I don't, I don't go for that. I think we should try our best to trust each other because that's what the Bible tells us to do. But don't put all your trust in people. Work hard, serve people, choose to give your trust away. Is your heart gonna be broken? Yes. Love people anyway. Is your trust gonna be broken? Yes. Trust people anyway. Are there gonna be times when you feel distant from God and like he's not hearing or listening or whatever? Are there gonna be times where he demands things of your life where he says, hey, I want you to give this away. Give this up to me. Like, I want you to trust me with money. I want you, are there gonna be times when he does that? Yes. Trust God anyway. Trust him anyway. We've got five loaves and two fish for probably a crowd of 10,000 plus. Limitations met with the unlimited one, Jesus. He multiplies the loaves and feeds everybody. And I love this. We have this scene of Jesus Christ, God Almighty, Yahweh, the upholder of the universe, standing before the crowd in the desert. So just remember that. He holds something up. The last time we saw a prophet stand before a crowd in a desert is when Moses had gone and met with God and came back down the mountain with the covenant, the commandments, the law. And he holds them up. Jesus now, the new Moses, holds up bread and says, Blesses it, I'm the bread of life, breaks it, gives it to these people. He multiplies the loaves and fishes. When he was starting his ministry, Jesus went out into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And the devil, he was in the wilderness for 40 days. I mean, the desert, really, 40 days. And um, look, he, he trusted God to provide food. The devil... Um, tempted him, told him, I can make this end for you right now. Just give me your life, bow down. And Jesus said this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then later, he's talking in Matthew 6, and he tells us this about his resources versus our resources. He says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Where do we go when we need food? Where do we go when we've run out? Where do we go when we can't provide? Who do we turn to when we are limited? Some of you today, your whole life is crashing around you. You're trying to control your life. Man, I, 
I do this with myself. You are limited. Jesus is the provider. You're not, man. Trust him. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added. Kent Hughes said this. This is a, uh, an author that I've been reading to get ready for this sermon this week. He said, a God who can do that can do anything. Think about it. Jesus, with a word, multiplied the molecular structure of those humble barley cakes and pickled fish. It is this creation power that he brings to our lives. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. Nothing is impossible physically or spiritually for Jesus. No one is beyond his redemption. Christian, if you are willing, there is no moral flaw in your life that God cannot heal. That's true. That's true. He's compassionate. He's provider. He's healer. And then after he feeds the 10,000 plus, he does something kind of interesting. He forces his disciples to get into a boat. He literally makes them get into a boat. Now, can you imagine the scene? They've just seen the miracle of miracles, like multiplying loaves and fish, healing one after another. I mean, for me, it's like, dude, you can, I don't like to, somebody to try to drag me out of this scene. I'm going to stay here. We're going to keep doing this. Let's just run it back at breakfast. Well, let's make some more bread and fish. Let's just stay right here and keep on going. And Jesus forces them to get into the boat knowing what's coming. The third thing is this. Jesus is Lord. He's compassionate and he's provider and he's proving again that he is Lord. The disciples get into the boat. Jesus knows the winds are coming. By the way, it's the Passover day. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you'll know that Passover means that's the time in Exodus when death passed over God's people's house. Moses was trying to deliver God's people from bondage. And all these plagues came to try and get Pharaoh to be convinced, like, hey, there is a God. He's strong. You don't want to mess with him. These are his people. You need to release these people from slavery. And the last thing that God did before Pharaoh finally released them was the death of firstborns. Now, what he said to his people was this. My people... Go and kill the best lamb you can find. Go find a lamb that is close to perfect as you could possibly find. And then put the blood of that lamb over your door. And that's how this death will know to pass over your house and not kill your firstborn. This is the story of Jesus, by the way. God spared his people by the blood of the lamb, death passed over their house, and now they get to live and not die. That's the story of Jesus. He's proving that he is Lord. In the Passover, that moment was celebrated throughout the rest of the Old Testament history of Jesus' people, the Israelites. Passover was a time that they came together for a meal, and they celebrated the fact that God Yahweh was on their side and he was their God and they were his people and he spared their people that day. That's called the Passover. Well, this day when he holds up the bread in the desert and he breaks the bread is the Passover 
day. It's the day they celebrated. And now he pushes out his disciples, the first church, into the water, into the turmoil, into the wind, and it's the Passover night. It's a full moon, that Passover moon. And Jesus does what he always does. He goes up on the mountain and he prays for and oversees his church. The wind comes. This is a crazy scene. Winds come. It's hours and hours and hours of time now. The winds are just like beating against them. They're going to die again, they think. Jesus is up on the mountain. There's a full Passover moon. And then, freaking out disciples, probably about three or four in the morning now, hoping they don't die, the winds will not stop. They look out, and here comes this ghostly figure, kind of like walking slash hovering slash we don't know on the water, and this is scary, man. It's Jesus. This dude is walking on water. Water doesn't hold weight. Water doesn't hold feet. Try to go right now and walk on some water and see where it gets you. Walking. I just can't even imagine this scene, the, like the, the terror that you would feel and how ominous and just weird and what is happening? Is this just some like weird flex by Jesus? Is he just trying to say, look, see what I can do, man? Boy, if YouTube was around in that day, there'd be a lot of likes on that video. What is he doing? Why does it matter? That he walks on the water. Let me tell you something that we say a lot here, and I've kind of said a little bit. I want you to stay with me in this particular part of this sermon, because this is really important. The entire Bible, every story that you've heard, Moses, Joshua, Daniel, Noah and the ark, Adam and Eve, like all of those things, they're all real things, they happen, but all of them are about Jesus. Every single one of them. The whole Bible is not written so that you can like have heroes of the faith. I mean, King David was not a, a hero to have. Noah, Moses, Moses was a murderer. These aren't people to like look up to necessarily. The entirety, the whole story of this book comes down to one person. It's about Jesus. Every story that you've ever read is about Jesus. What's happening here? And you remember in Job, we preached on Job a few uh, months back. Job is questioning God. He's lost everything and he's freaking out. And there were two characters in Job. There was Behemoth and Leviathan. Behemoth was, he was scared to death of Behemoth. And God even referenced Behemoth and he said, I've got Behemoth, I've got him curled up. I've got Behemoth, I've wrapped my rope around him. Leviathan, he talks about putting Leviathan on a leash. Behemoth represented death. Leviathan was this monster of the sea. He represented Satan. 
The sea represented hell or chaos. Leviathan was the devil. Scariest thing in the world to Job. God comes in and Job, Yahweh, he says, I've, you're scared of Leviathan. I dare you to stand up to Satan. I dare you to stand up to Leviathan. God says, I am not afraid of Leviathan. I've got him on a leash. So the sea is hell. It's chaos. Leviathan, the king of chaos. And here is God's little church on a boat in chaos with chaotic winds. And Jesus, the Lord of chaos, comes walking on the water and puts the devil under his feet. He's Lord. He's Yahweh. He's what every single page of this book is about, is Jesus, man. He fulfills all the law and prophets. The story of Moses in particular here is fascinating. The people of God were delivered by the mediator. They were enslaved by the blood of the perfect lamb. God sends a person to rescue them out of bondage. That sounds like Jesus. They go into the desert. Well, in this story with the 5,000, it says they go into a desolate place, which literally translates to desert. You had God's people in Exodus that went into the desert following the mediator, Jesus now, the one who comes in between. He makes a way for us to get to God, just like Moses. In the desert, Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the law, you have to follow this and follow it perfectly, and nobody ever does. Jesus now, in the desert, with people, he holds up a new covenant. And he blesses it, and it's the bread of life. Not the law. It's himself. The great Passover meal is Jesus. He's the perfect lamb. He's the one whose blood that we spread over the door of our house and death passes over our house. He's the one that puts Leviathan, puts Satan under his feet. He's the one that walks on water. One other cool part of this story is it says, walking on the sea, he meant to pass them by or he meant to pass by them. What in the world? Why? <laughs> Why even go out there? Plus, it's a sea. It's like, are you really that directionally challenged, Jesus? One little boat on this giant sea, and you meant to pass by them? Now, what's happening here? Exodus 33, Moses again says, Lord, let me see your glory. And God says to him, no, you can't. You can't see my face, but I will pass by you. And he does. He passes by him. In 1 Kings 19, like we said earlier, Elijah, the prophets of Baal, he won. He goes out. He says, I'm going to show you my glory, but I'm just going to pass by because you can't see my face. Passing by is the sign of Yahweh. Jesus is passing by. One of my favorite things, they were all terrified when they saw him. But immediately he spoke to them and he said this. He said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
It's kind of a weird way to say, hey, guys, don't worry about it. It's me. It is I. Thank you, proper Jesus. This word translates to exactly what God told Moses in the burning bush. Do you remember what happened there? He said, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Moses, who are you? He says, I am. The same translation, the same word here, the way Jesus describes himself as Yahweh, as God, as El Shaddai, as Jehovah. He says, take heart. It is I am. Just beautiful. He's Lord. He's Yahweh. He is a new Moses, but way better. He blesses the bread. He blesses the manna. He himself is the great Passover feast. I'm not kidding you today. When I tell you that this book was written by God about Jesus, there's no way that any human being would be smart enough or have enough energy and time to write this book. God had to write it. It is threaded into Jesus. Man, he's compassionate. He's provider. He's Lord. He's God. He is almighty. El Shaddai. Powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. And he brought you here today so that you could hear that. It doesn't matter how crazy you feel or how far you've gone or how little you trust him. It doesn't matter. He's still God. He's still God, and he loves you enough to bring you here. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He is literally chasing after you right now in your life. That's why you're here. He's not come to bring you shame. He's not come to bring you any sort of like guilt. He's not. He's come to just tell you straight up, man, I wrote this book about myself. I am here for you today. I've been chasing after you. I want you. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. Changes the way that we view communion. We're going to take the table of the Lord together. And for those who have trusted Jesus, if you've said yes to Jesus, man, this is a meal for you. And you can imagine today the scene on, in the desert, in the desolate place with all of those people. You join in with them, and it's God providing the bread of life and saying, this is a new covenant. In this covenant, you don't have to keep the law. This covenant, you come to Jesus who kept the law perfectly. That's what this meal is. Let's stand together.